I'm Mark Seddon. Uh, I'm uh, here in Britain, uh, but we are joined from guests in uh, both the uh, Middle East and North America, so from three continents today. I've been uh, United Nations correspondent for Al Jazeera English Television, uh, and I've also worked for the UN, former UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon, and also for the President of the UN General Assembly, uh, 73rd Division, uh, Maria Fernanda. Uh, so really, without further ado, I'd like to introduce our two panelists today. Uh, I'm going to ask them some questions, then I hope you will too. Um, and I'd like to introduce, first of all, Inis Abdul Razik. Uh, Inis is the uh, Advocacy Director for the Palestinian Institute for Public Diplomacy. And previously, she held advisory and policy roles for the Union for the Mediterranean, United Nations Environmental Programme, and the Palestinian Prime Minister's Office. She's a member of Al-Shabaka, the Palestinian Policy Network, and today she joins us from Ramallah in Palestine. And I'd like to also introduce Miko Paled. Welcome, author, activist, and speaker. Miko grew up in Israel and at first followed a military career before teaching martial arts across the world and rediscovering his activism. And today he's known as one of the leading advocates of the BDS movement and believes in a peaceful single state solution. And uh, Mika, I believe you're joining us from Washington, DC. Welcome to you both. And uh, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, so really, just if I could begin, how is it that uh, the uh, Secretary of State uh, for the United States essentially is saying the decision over annexation is Israel's? and not the international community as a whole. What, what sort of signal is being sent, do you think? Well, I think the signal that's being sent has been sent for a very long time. It's very, very clear. Israel gets away with everything it wants. And the Trump plan uh, basically gave the presidential approval to the complete uh, occupation of Palestine, to uh, the uh, establishment well, the established more than the establishment, the, the 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 approval of the establishment of an apartheid regime over all of historic Palestine, uh, with no rights and uh, nothing for Palestinians to gain or or no legitimacy to Palestinian claims for liberation and freedom. So that's what the message is. And Iran is the political punching bag. You know, everybody shifts to Iran in order to not look at at Israel and the whole the whole Iran thing. I think is a, is is. A, is basically a yeah, I mean, there, there is, and I'll come back to you in a minute, Ines, but I mean, the, the, you know, there is this real issue now with uh, uh, international law, the power of international organizations, um, the, the efficacy of, of the United Nations and resolutions, international, uh, the international order and multilateralism, if you like. And what it, what it does appear is the most extraordinary thing is about to happen um, with perhaps 30% of the West Bank uh, to be annexed, the Jordan Valley, all of Jerusalem, that appears to be the intention. Um, and yet, possibly because the focus is elsewhere at the moment uh, on the pandemic, uh, we don't hear a great deal from the European Union, we don't hear a great deal from uh, the Arab League. Um, who can the Palestinians call upon in the coming months to come to their aid? You know, I, the reality that you're describing is nothing new. I mean, it's like again, like Inez said, the fact that now they're 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 putting a legal face onto this uh, expansion is is really, in terms of the day-to-day -day life of Palestinians, irrelevant. 
the international community, international law, the European Union, uh, have been criminally negligent and, and collaborating with the state of Israel. Um, and the result is what we see today. I mean, the mm. state of Israel has no reason to comply with international law. It has no reason to comply with United Nations resolutions. None of these laws and none of these resolutions have any teeth and nobody would dare to impose sanctions on the state of Israel, which is what is now, of course, required. Nobody dares to call uh, to end the apartheid regime over Palestine that, again, like Inez was saying, has been, has been in place for over 70 years. No, nobody talks about that. And that's the only conversation that would bring about some sort of change and relief for the Palestinians. Well, I mean, there you go. And I mean, I, we've, we've got a question in, I think it's from Bill Goff. I'm, I'm not quite, quite sure where, where Bill has been getting in touch from, but he asks, and this is, I'm going to put this to you, Inez, I mean, what practical impact would the annexation of the West Bank actually make since Israel effectively controls these territories in any event? Yes, I think um, I think two things are important um, to still take into account if, if there is legal annexation. One is that, um, again, if nothing is done by the international community, that means not by saying something because there has been some statements, you know, by European states and, you know, those that are believe in international law, but it's what can they do? It's if there is no accountability, like there has been no accountability for the past decades, uh, effectively, this is the end of the international order. It's it's basically saying, you know, international law doesn't exist, and which is what Secretary Pompeo said. He said, it's up to Israel. It's actually not up to Israel. Annexation is forbidden under international law. But obviously, you know, the Trump administration couldn't care less about international law. But effectively, if this goes uh, unchallenged, um, you know, and the EU said they would challenge it, but we're still waiting to see uh, what they what they would do. Uh, effectively, it would be the end. It would be um, just not only in, in Palestine, Israel, think bigger. It, it would mean that the international community would effectively say, you know, international law, it's 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 not a valid framework. It's not it's not valid anymore. So, so I guess what can be? I mean, the practical implications um, is more to emboldening. Uh, I think moves that are extremely uh, dangerous for Palestinians and for the existence of the Palestinian identity and Palestinian um, you know presence on their land, which has been happening again, but it's just. Mm -hmm. Can worsen it. Uh, for example, displacement of. In there because there's been a, there's. I, I should just quickly say actually that that Bill Goff uh, is 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 getting in touch from from California. He's a, he's an old friend of uh, Miko's. So nice to hear from you, Bill. But there's also we've been ahead from Gianni. I think Gianni is is, is getting in touch from Italy, uh, and and he wants to know. Um, in his following on from your last question, you know, what. Is there a prospect of greater unity amongst Palestinians themselves, uh, uh, the political parties? Are we far from a unity amongst po Palestinian political parties, asked Gianni? Yes, uh, unfortunately, I think we're not uh, close to uh, a reconciliation between uh, Hamas and, and Fatah, um, you know, Fatah controlling the West Bank, uh, Hamas controlling Gaza. Um, and, and Israel is playing on that too, right? I mean, they are negotiating directly with Hamas. Um, you know, someone shouldn't forget that there are direct talks. I mean, they say they're terrorists and so on, but they, they discuss, they have mutual interest at hand in keeping the status quo somehow as it is. So uh, I think what's needed is clearly 
a complete shift uh, within the PLO as the representative of the Palestinian people, mm. but the current political landscape is is not very uh, positive. I think the only um, positive thing we see is during this crisis that the Palestinian leadership within the authority, when the, when dealing with health issues, with 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 people's lives, and with you know the quarantine and so on, um, they seem to manage pretty well, and they actually mm -hmm. have. Um, you know, the tr some trust, they regain some trust of the people for managing the services within the small territories they control. So, um, if I could I think the, just there yeah. in it and then go to you, Miko, on this, when it comes to Palestinian political unity, I mean, there is a, obviously ongoing controversy. Uh, President Abbas is, uh, uh, has been in office for a very, very long time. When is, there, when is there going to be new, fresh political leadership at the top? In, in in Palestine? You know, I think we have to be careful not to view Palestinian leadership and the lack or, or not lack of Palestinian uh, cohesion. We have to stop looking at it through the Israeli prism. We have to stop looking at it from the Israeli centrist perspective. <clears throat> I travel to Palestine all the time. And when I'm there, I speak to people throughout the entire country in the Nakab, in the south, Al-Jalil, in the north, in Yaffa, in Jerusalem, in Ramallah, in Al-Khalil, in Hebron, throughout the entire country, activists who are the sort of leaders that are inspiring in every way. There's absolutely no lack of unity at all. Everybody speaks with one voice. Now, they don't have this political power, this... Uh, what what uh, what somebody called once the theatrics of power, like Hamas do in Gaza and the PLO have in the West Bank with some you know semblance of security forces and stuff like that. But these are the activists on the ground. These are the opinion makers and the leaders in Palestine, and I'm talking about Palestinians. They all speak with the yeah. same voice. They all carry the Palestinian flag, and they all speak of a solution that calls for complete equal rights for Palestinians from the river Jordan to the sea, from the mm. Lebanese border to uh, the Gulf of Aqaba. It is, it is because, I mean, when I was at the United Nations, we would see President Abbas. He was seen very much as the representative of the Palestinian people. Uh, as far as the uh, you know the, the you know, international leaders are concerned, this is the guy they're dealing with. And I, 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 I hear what you say. Uh, about public opinion and activism and campaign and all the rest of it, but do you not think there is there's still got, at, at the top there is a, a the, the the leadership is sclerotic? It needs changing um, if there is to be uh, a real uh, a real fight back um, uh, to these plans. Uh, for no, I, th I, I think the the Palestinian Authority, in terms of in terms of moving forward uh, in in the liberation of Palestine, is completely made itself irrelevant and not only to its own, you know, I mean, it's, it's an existing in some very difficult conditions, but to the, to the larger issue of Palestine, the liberation of Palestine, the Palestinian authority is completely irrelevant. And I don't think uh, Abu Mazen represents anyone. I don't think he even thinks I'd be surprised if he thinks he represents anyone. Right. And so the, the whole entire concept of the PA is, an, is, is uh, again, looking at Palestine, through an Israeli prism, through an yeah. Israeli perspective. Otherwise, it has no relevance.
I'm good. I'm going to come back to to both of you on another question in a minute about the coronavirus. But um, just just one finally on the annexation plans. I mean, still at the United Nations, still at the EU, uh, globally, people talk about the two state solution. They talk about Oslo, but but really, what on earth can be said to be to be what can, if this annexation goes ahead in July? I mean, who can seriously uh, actually stand by that position, and, and what will what will what will it take to change that um, at uh, the United Nations, for instance? And Innes, I'll, I'll come to you first on that. And I'll come back to you, Miko. Where does this leave Oslo? Where does this leave the two state? You'll probably say, well, it's been dead in the water forever. But in terms of international language, that's still, as you know, this is what everybody says. Yeah, I think. Look, I think the there there is different things here. There is the the peace process. There is no peace process. I think the idea that there are prospects for negotiations. I mean, Israel has not been interested. They don't have any strategic interest into negotiating whatsoever. And so the Palestinians have been, you know, making compromise after compromise after compromise. Um, you know, sixty-seven borders, two states, um, sharing the resources. I mean. And effectively, they just demand these parameters that have been repeated again and again in the Arab Peace Initiative and so many peace initiatives. But the Israelis have never wanted that because they have the control. So we have to first abandon this idea that there, there, there can be negotiations right now. The only way is accountability. And so it's, it's to look at what accountability means, because if there is no cost for Israel on the occupation um, and there is no cost on annexation, uh, remember that Jerusalem was annexed in 67. Nothing happened. Jerusalem is already annexed, right? Israel claims it's the United Capital, but nothing happened. Same with settlements growing. You know, settlement construction is illegal, yet uh, they, you know, they have flourished and they continue to flourish. So, uh, again, Israel has not taken no responsibility and has not felt mm -hmm. any cost for it. So I guess today it's about, you know, the international community, the only thing they can do is support some accountability measures. And that means effectively sanctions. And when we say sanctions, it's not something outside existing rules and procedures. It means effectively not, you know, uh, trading uh, with the settlements. It means um, forget to, to procure and provide services for Israeli, um, you know, all the Israeli ministries and Israeli administrations and, and companies that that surveil and that effectively violate human rights. It's a supporting ICC investigation. It's all of these tools that effectively have never been put in place because, as Miko said, there is no political will. Um, and I just want to answer quickly the, the question that came back twice is, you know, um, Israel, uh, Israel's talking points and, and, and narrative is also that they help greatly the Palestinians, and but effectively under occupation and the occupation law, they have a responsibility towards Palestinians' lives and towards Palestinians' health. They have not taken that responsibility. They have subcontracted it to the PA. So for so many years, the PA has basically been the subcontractor of Israel's occupation. So. Israel has not the burden to, to deal with the Palestinian population. They have enclosed Gazans into you know, a terrible blockade and they don't have to deal with them. And actually they have no intention of, of annexing Gaza. They would prefer that all Palestinians are you know, locked there and they don't have to deal with Gaza, yet controlling uh, you know, borders and, 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 and sea, etc. So again, I think from 
you know, from a Palestinian perspective, people, as Miko said, want rights. I don't think everyone wants one state. I think some people still want two states. Uh, I personally want one state, but I think that we should recognize some people want two states, but they want rights. And effectively, equal rights means having equal rights in a regime that systematically discriminates on the basis of whether you're Palestinian or, or Jewish. Well, Miko, if I can come to you, um, you know, the pe people have been campaigning um, and people such as yourself on the BDS campaign, the divesting sanctions campaign, have come under a great deal of criticism. Uh, it's uh, it does appear that uh, you know that there there are very loud and powerful voices out there who who do want to try and muzzle uh, campaigners for Palestinian rights. So uh, one of the questions that is coming through from um, uh, the people viewing this is that you know how, how can you pull uh, all of the voices together? So all of the uh, all the voices advocating advocating Palestinian freedom, you know, how, all the different groups. How can you pull them all together to make them more effective and also perhaps a bit more, um, well, a, a, a bit more resolved to defend themselves when they come under terrible uh, attack. You know, I think we have to differentiate here between two different parts of the Palestinian question or, or the two different conversations here. One conversation is being taken, takes place in the United Nations, the international community that you mentioned, and they all refuse to recognize that Palestine has been occupied since 1948 and has been subjected to a brutal apartheid regime. Um, and granted, you know, the, 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 the taking of Palestine was in two parts. Most of it was taken in 1948 and then the rest was taken in 1967. Inez mentioned Jerusalem. West Jerusalem in 1948 was subjected to a 100% ethnic cleansing. Not a single Palestinian person, not a single Palestinian family was allowed to remain. Where was the international community then? You know, we're asking where's the international community now that Israel is about to take, uh, you know, what uh, this, this, again, this area C, which is a weird definition of, of, of particular parts of Palestine. Where were they in 1948 when Israel expelled close to a million people and committed such atrocities that, you know, the, 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 the pages of, of the books are, are, are burning from, from, from horror. So where was the international community that it's in the same place today where it was then they do not care. That is one conversation. The other conversation is a conversation that takes place on the ground among activists, and when I say on the ground, I don't necessarily mean in Palestine, but, but a great deal of it is taking place in Palestine. And that is precisely the question you asked, how do we all work together in order to make those voices heard? And that's exactly what our job is. That's what I see, mm -hmm. you know, what, what I do is to bring those voices out. When you talk to activists again in the NACAP, you have hundreds of thousands of Palestinians who are citizens of the state of Israel who live without access to water, who live without access to electricity, who have who live in terrible, overcrowding conditions because they're not allowed to build. And of course, now we've got the coronavirus, which I know we'll talk about in a minute. We will get on to that. And, 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 and I, I we're coming then, Emiko, if I may, because I mean, we've, we've, been, we've been talking about, um, you know, bringing campaigning groups together. It wasn't that long ago, of course, that there was quite a powerful um, peace movement within Israel amongst Israelis. And I just wonder, and a lot of people wonder about all of this, when there is such patent, Mr. J uh, 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 injustice taking place uh, and seismic events that many Israelis will feel very uncomfortable with and not want. What are the prospects for um, 
you know, closer collaboration uh, and building up links again with the, the, the Israeli peace movement. And in fact, that becoming stronger. And I'll well, ask you, Mika, on that. Well, that's exactly what I was going to say. The other conversation is the conversation among activists. Now, you either recognize the right of Israel to exist as an apartheid regime or you reject it. The Israeli peace movement, or what used to be an Israeli peace movement, never rejected the apartheid regime. It was a Zionist-based, Zionist-centric peace movement that said, we have all the rights and we are quite willing to allow the Palestinians limited rights under our conditions that we set. Now, when they had to choose between peace and Zionism, they all fell on the side of Zionism. That's why they vote for people like uh, Benny Gantz and uh, you know who who is who is a war criminal and a racist. That but is the Israeli peace. I'm talking about now. What happens? What happens now? I mean, what can be done now, given that we're looking at a possible annexation uh, of great swathes of the West Bank in July? There are genuine security risks. There must be amongst uh, uh, Israelis as well. Uh, people still want to have a lot of people still want to have a peaceful. Uh, solution, and they are not happy with uh, what Netanyahu and Gantz are doing. Um, is trying to rebuild those links, perhaps. Um, you know what can what can be done. I mean, but, but taking into account what people have done in the past and what have you. But we're looking at the situation now. What can be done now to 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 build new alliances? Well, I can't. I don't accept the premise that there is an exist that within Israeli society there is a voice for that. When when we look at the results of the last three elections and the elections before that, actually, we see the opinions of the state of Israelis. Israelis, by and large, support the annexation, support the apartheid regime, support the violence. When, 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 when the Israeli army is bombing Gaza and murdering thousands of civilians, where are, the, where, where are the Israeli voices? Everybody stands behind it. The only support that we can rely on is, of course, the work that the wonderful work the Palestinians are doing within, the call for boycott, divestment, and sanctions, which is, I believe, the most powerful call, the most powerful tool that we have, and people around the world, people of conscience, activists and others who are, you know, churches and, and people, you know, group, faith groups, the peace groups and so forth, that must demand that this issue become front and center and that we reject yeah. this notion that Israel has a right to not only exist, but mandate and force Palestinians out. Now, of course, I mean, we've, we've alluded to this throughout. I mean, uh, the COVID-19, the pandemic, uh, it's already having an effect um, in the Middle East. And I think according to WHO on the 22nd of April, I think, three, I think it would be about 350 people infected in the West Bank. Uh, two people have died. There's been a case announced uh, yesterday of uh, of uh, COVID-19 in uh, one of the camps uh, in the Bekaa Valley in in Lebanon. Um, now, of course, this is a, a health crisis that is yet to, to to truly take root in the Middle East and the global and the global South as well. And and everybody's hoping that, of course, it doesn't. But it becomes this kind of all-embracing issue that pushes everything to one side. Uh, unless we're all very, very careful. But the question I'm getting from um, Barbara Milano, uh, Barbara writes uh, in and she, she says that um, Israeli UN ambassador, uh, the Israeli US, UN ambassador, Mr. Danan, has claimed that Israel has donated generously to protect Palestinians in the West Bank and Gaza from the coronavirus pandemic. And uh, the Palestinian Authority and Hamas uh, have falsely accused Israel of deliberately obstructing Palestinian efforts to combat the virus. Um, 
Uh, do do either of you do, uh, Innes, first of all to you i mean is what is this is there any cooperation i mean what what duty of care and responsibility does an occupy power have in any event um in the west bank and uh, in particular in jerusalem uh i mean as i said earlier and i want to come back to to miko's points on the national struggle but um well, we we can do that but let's let's get on to the the coronavirus um yeah, yeah. I mean, again, as I said before, there is no, I think it's a false narrative to say that there is cooperation. I think uh, there is the Israelis that control effectively a border supplies resources and then the PA that can just, you know, um, uh, as, you know, expect that they can uh, have some material and what they need to be accepted uh, by, by Israel. So, you know, Israelis have been squeezing Palestinians lives uh, and livelihoods for so long. Uh, in Gaza, you know, the blockade, 13 years of blockade, I don't know if you, like, imagine a lockdown, imagine worse than a lockdown, and imagine that for 13 years. That's what Gazans have been living under. And so now you see on the, uh, you know, Israeli authorities' social media that they're really very generous by letting some trucks in, you know, in and out, but they've effectively destroyed and bombed uh, the electricity infrastructure, the schools, the hospitals. So everything is a humanitarian crisis because of the political situation and the Israelis authorities then come and say how generous they are into providing this aid but it's their responsibility under international law it's their responsibility to provide for the Palestinian people in occupied territory that's the that's a fact I think again um, going back to Miko's points on the national struggles I think we need to move away from one thinking that there is these two equal parties that don't agree with each other and also also from this state um the state centric issue let's look and again let's take a more intersectional perspective or a more global perspective um and and, and see what people live under what kind of system today if you're a palestinian worker in israel you work you know you've been asked to work dur during the crisis during the COVID crisis because your work is essential but effectively, you were not tested. You don't have access to Israeli security, social security, and to the same health care that, that, that the Jewish community have. If you're a Palestinian in the West Bank, you're under military law, and the Israeli settler next door is under civilian law. So if you raise a Palestinian flag on a hill, you know, you can go to a military court. Uh, if, if an Israeli settler is injuring a Palestinian, actually, attacks have really increased during this crisis because people are on lockdown and quarantine, they, not, they are not never uh, indicted. So I think we need to look at the inherent uh, institutional and systemic inequalities that people live under. And this is what we need to, uh, to fight against. And so on the question of, 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 of the struggle and how can we move forward for, for freedom effectively and rights, um, you know, it's, it's about what are the different people who believe in the same values? Uh, I don't think, as, as Mika said, there is a peace camp in, in Israel, but there are a very tiny margin of people who believe in the same values that we do for freedom, equal rights. Uh, they work in NGOs that are effectively also very uh, criminalized by the state. Um, they, uh, you know, they are um, obviously the people in the joint list and they're all Palestinians living in Israel. If you see the joint list, 
they got 15 seats in the elections because also some Jewish people voted for them. And these are the Jewish people. Actually, on the joint list, David Prum in the United States is, uh, is, is asking, can this become a joint party? Uh, the joint list, can it become a party that brings people together from all communities? Could that become a, an effective political uh, uh, vehicle and choice for people? Yeah, I mean, what is clear today is that the only people in these past elections that called for effective democracy and equal rights for all is the joint list, is the Palestinian list. And so, yes, I think the joint list is open for Jewish people to join. Uh, but as Miko said, I think we have to see the reality of society. Uh, you know, uh, more than 50% of people support annexation. Um, and so let's say that obviously there is a tiny majority of people who believe in equal rights. And I think these people should join forces with the joint list because the joint list effectively believes in Palestinian self-determination. And until Palestinian self-determination is denied uh, by Israelis, whether, you know, they are, uh, um, I mean, everywhere in the territory, uh, that effectively we won't find a solution. So, yes, I, I do believe that. They are a very important constituency for the struggle moving Thank you. on. Mika, can I ask you the same question? Yeah, well, I'm going to echo exactly what Inez said. I mean, this is, uh, I think the joint list have exceeded everybody's expectations, including their own. First of all, by the number of seats they were able to get in the Knesset and the number of uh, the high the high rates of uh, voting among the Palestinian citizens of Israel and the number of Israeli Jews, again, like Inez said, that are that share these values of uh, equality and rights, and 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 voted for the joint list. And I think the other they, they've also exceeded everybody's expectations in their parliamentarian work. In other words, they are the only parliamentarians in the Knesset that are not dealing with trying to get into the coalition, trying to get a seat, trying to get a job. They are actually in the committees, trying to get money to poor people, trying to help small businesses, trying to help people who are sick, and. On top of that, raising the issue of the horrific conditions of Palestinians who are citizens of Israel, like I said earlier, in the Nakab and in other 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 parts of the country where they live in such conditions, where the which are which are you know almost invite the uh, the coronavirus to come in and uh, and take over and and take over and take people's lives. So I agree, they are they have exceeded everybody's expectations and i think they they definitely and also the fact that they're a coalition it's mm. not a single party it's a coalition you've got uh you've got you know socialists and you've got liberals and you've got islamists and you've got it's a coalition of of, of different movements of different parties which united in order to accomplish a particular goal and that's precisely i think the model that that the Palestinian struggle needs to take. It has nothing to do with whether we're socialists or, or 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 religious people or people of faith. What's important is that we reach the goal uh, again, which is a question of rights, equal rights for Palestinians. Well, thank you, Mika. I mean, we just uh, somebody called uh, Shubta has been in touch. I'm not quite sure where the where Shubta's uh, 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 calling from, but. Um, but but the question there is essentially: Can we possibly trust the uh, the the facts when it comes to COVID nineteen in the West Bank and Gaza? I mean, I was I was quoting figures from oh uh, from Delhi, uh, calling in from uh, from Delhi in uh, India. I mean, I, I was quoting um, the uh, the latest figures of the World Health Organization. Um, of course, an arm of the United Nations, which United Nations, which neatly leads me on to just the, the final area for us quickly to discuss until next time, uh, and that is um, 
the role of the United Nations uh, Relief and Works Agency, the, the cuts there have been um, to its budget. Uh, also, of course, the cuts to the WHO's budget uh, from the Trump administration. Um, it does look as though many of these UN agencies that were set up originally to uh, deal with uh, short-term issues have now become part of the permanent landscape in Palestine as the occupation has lasted for decades. But tell, tell me if you both can. I'll start with you, Ines. I mean, the uh, the pushback on the UN agencies that provide uh, all sorts of very basic important uh, aid is that is it is the, is the is the hole being filled by other member states of the UN? I mean, other or, or can you actually know are these budget cuts really beginning to bite? Are they having an effect? Yes, I think UNRWA has, has suffered tremendously in the past years. Uh, obviously, some donors are stepping in. Um, but I think it's very important to say again that, um, you know, I think it depends where you are, but the UN agencies, especially for basic services, play an, a tremendous role in Israel-Palestine. And again, it's Israel who controls. I mean, today, again, I read that, you know, trucks have been uh, entering the West Bank uh, through the Koga, through the Israeli authorities. So even the UN agencies, you know, have to obviously have the authorization of the Israelis to provide aid to the Palestinians. And the, what the United States and the, and the, and the Israel have been trying to do with UNRWA is obviously destroy UNRWA because they want to question the right of refugees, the right to return of refugees. So effectively for them, it's a political question beyond, uh, it's not an administrative question, as they said. So, so they have lost a lot of budget and refugees across the world, you know, uh, including Palestinian refugees are the most vulnerable people to COVID. And so uh, UNRWA is doing an, an enormous job. They have a new head uh, that has been appointed early April. And, you know, he's appealing. I think he's working hard into appealing to other member states to, to step in. Um, and the same with WHO. I think what WHO does is, 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 is enormous. But again, we are here with a layer of COVID is interdependent with occupation where, you know, the UN agencies have to step up where if the Palestinians would be sovereign or if, you know, if there would be a system where everyone would have access and would have their rights upheld, the UN agencies wouldn't have to fill that gap. So I think this is where we are today. And especially, I think, for Gaza, um, I think the situation is terrible, but uh, I, I hope that UNRWA uh, and the donors, you know, will step in. I think the EU has stepped in and others uh, to to fill the gap that the U.S. has left. Miko, if I could put the same question briefly to you, and then we'll we'll, we'll sure. begin to bring things to to an end. Sure, I, I'd I'd like to say if anybody wants to see uh, get a really good feeling of the kind of work and the kind of uh, sense that Palestinians have towards UNRWA, uh, read Hassan Kanafani's short stories. He talks about what it's like to live in the camps and and receive these uh, you know these this charity from UNRWA. Uh, it's, 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 it's a great description of, of, of how, how, what it's like to be on the receiving end. Um, but again, I'll echo what, what uh, Inez said. This, the, the denying UNRWA money is a political, is a political um, uh, move because the whole narrative or the whole, the whole political narrative here is to deny the existence and the rights of refugees. And so that is precisely why the United States stopped the funding, and that's precisely why Israel demanded that. They want to pretend like the refugees don't exist. Um, and of course, you know, the, the, the reality is that fine, you want to take the funding away, 
uh, allow them to go back to their homes. In other words, it's an equation here. If you want to take away the funding, if you want to cancel UNRWA, if you want to stop providing the relief for Palestinians, who really have no reason to be poor because education levels are very high. They're only poor because Israel is banning them from return. Allow them to return to their homes and they can you know, live productive lives back in Palestine where they want to go anyway. But that's really not what they want to do. They want to destroy the Palestinian narrative. They want to destroy the refugee issue, which of course is central, as we know, to the, um, to, to the Palestinian issue, to the Palestinian question. So I think that, you know, it, and, and to begin with, again, I go back to Hassan Kanafani's story, you know, the, the, the amounts of, of relief that actually reached Palestinians still kept Palestinians in such terrible poverty, in such terrible conditions, um, that um, it really wasn't doing all that much. It's not like Palestinians were driving expensive cars. They were living in horrible conditions, even today, of course, in refugee camps in and around Palestine. So again, it's a political question, and, and the only way to move beyond this and, and to resolve this is a political uh, um, political solution to the question of Palestine. Well, you know, that, that yes, right back to the, the political solution, as ever, the political solution for Palestine, the increased recognition of Palestine by many member states of the United Nations. But as we draw this to a close, I mean, you know, some quite fantastical things are happening that are deeply shocking. Nobody could have predicted two or three years ago that uh, uh, a, a United States administration would be uh, relocating its embassy to Jerusalem, would effectively be giving the green light for annexation of whole swathes of, uh, of West Bank Palestinian territory. But, you know, amidst all the gloom, um, if both of you, and I'm going to start first of all you, with you, Ines, has a message, um, a message of hope, really, uh, uh, what would that be? What what can people concretely do, uh, not just in Palestine, but across the world? What can people do to push the issue of the Palestinian people first and foremost? And so this uh, there is a real challenge to these annexation uh, 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 plans. And let me talk about BDS, but uh, I would say, I think, as a, as a word of conclusion, that it's very important to change the narrative. I think the way people think and, and, and talk about Palestine um, and Israel is very much framed by, you know, this past 30 years of peace, peace process and Oslo and so on. I think we need to really deconstruct that. And we need to see, especially now with the COVID crisis, I think it helps to understand, you know, structural, where are there structural inequalities? Where there is there structural violence? Where are they institutions that effectively discriminate you know, peoples over others. And I think this is what we need to fight against. We need to fight for equal rights and we need to fight to make sure that Palestinians, you know, have the same rights and freedom as, as the Jewish people in, in Israel-Palestine, in, in historic Palestine, between the river and the sea. And I think, again, not uh, being uh, caught by this idea that whether it's through Israeli elections or through PA elections or whatever institutional mechanism is, it, it's, is here already that won't solve this problem, that won't lead us to our goal. So I think there is a lot of people on the ground in Palestine, a lot of solidarity movements, a lot of, um, you know, advocates outside that do believe that, you know, a rights-based approach, human rights and, and, and freedom are the way forward. And there is a lot of ways to, to help and even just reframing that narrative, you know, and presenting it as, uh, an, um, a fight against apartheid, a fight for rights, already 
will be, I think, tremendously help change the, the power balance because it's about power shift at the end of the day. Thank you, Ines. Miko? Yeah, I agree completely. And I would I would only add that if people around the world want to support the Palestinian cause, they need demand from their elected or unelected officials, whichever the case may be, state by state, um, to uh, demand sanctions against the state of Israel, to boycott the state of Israel, to divest from the state of Israel, to send home all the Israeli ambassadors back to Tel Aviv and, and do what South Africa did, which is downgrade their diplomatic mission in Tel Aviv. Uh, this is the only way it's done. I mean, we have a model. We had a model in South Africa. We saw how to bring down how the international community helped blacks in South Africa bring down apartheid. The exact same thing needs to be done today. But like Inez was saying, it's all about changing the narrative. We need to stop legitimizing Israel. We need to stop saying that Israel is a legitimate entity. We need to deal with it as an apartheid regime that is violent and brutal, which of course we know. Uh, and we need to look at international law in terms of crimes like genocide and apartheid and ethnic cleansing, which are well defined by international law and which Israel has been engaged from the very beginning for over seven decades. And this is how we move this issue forward. It's not going to be, again, like I said, we're not, not going to happen using the institutions that exist today. The solution for the question of Palestine cannot be done by trying to rehash what's already been done. It's not about two equal sides that can't get along. It's about the destruction, the ethnic cleansing, the imposition of an apartheid regime upon Palestine and Palestinians, and that is what needs to be reversed. And the beauty of the call for boycott, divestment, and sanctions is that this is in the demands of the call for BDS, ending the military occupation which exists, demanding equal rights between Israelis and Palestinians, and allowing the refugees to return to I mean, their homes. Just one final thought for you both. I mean, of course, what you're talking about is uh, what needs to happen. Is what you believe needs to happen uh, in, amongst Palestinians and the international uh, support uh, that they that, that Palestinians have around the world. Um, but it, all th things are invariably influenced by outside events. The Trump administration has obviously aided the uh, Israeli government in their plans to annex the West Bank. But we have an election in the United States in November. It's just possible, possible that there could be a different president. Uh, you might say there may not be a great deal of difference with the election of a different president, but you could also say that uh, a different president might actually abide by uh, international uh, law and we wouldn't have the unilateralism that we've had from this current uh, president. So, I mean, there can be international events that can help. Would you not agree? Yeah, I would say um, definitely there is some, there is opportunities. And as Miko said, anything you will do to, to fight for freedom and rights, uh, you will be called either anti-Semitic or terrorist. So we're here also and you know everyone should feel free to to contact me as well and um, and Miko for resources because we need to fight back this uh, these attacks and I think yes the the U.S. elections I mean uh, unfortunately Bernie Sanders is not anymore um, you know a candidate I think a lot of Palestinians had hoped uh, because he's the first one who really explicitly called for conditioning military aid to Israel and this is what needs to happen you know conditioning military aid conditioning uh, corporations stop stop trade uh, all these uh, effective uh, sanctions that you know they should be accountable for violating 
again, human rights and international law for, for so many years. So, you know, we hope that Biden, you know, could uh, adopt some of these measures. I'm not so hopeful, but let's see how the campaign goes. Well, look, uh, we're not so hopeful he wins either, but, um, but yeah, I think everyone should continue. And, uh, and as, as Miko said, I think uh, hold their, their own elected officials accountable for uh, questioning the relationship with, with Israel. Well, okay. I mean, in fact, uh, Ines, you actually briefly referred to how people can get in touch with you and follow you. I'm going to, I'm going to just say that you can for Miko, uh, Miko Peled.com. That's correct, isn't it? Miko Peled.com. People can. Yeah, you can find everything there. Yes. You can find everything there. Um, Ines, uh, where can people find you? Find you. Uh, on Twitter, uh, Ines Abarazek. Also, feel free to message the PIPD, the Palestine Institute for Public Diplomacy. Uh, my, I, I will see the. We're a small team, so we can see the the messages. And obviously, I'll be happy then to to share my private email with with any people who get in touch. Well, look, thank you, and thank you to both of you. Um, thank you in particular because we had those earlier teething problems. Um, you know the sound and what have you, but I I, I think it's it's proved to be a very very interesting discussion. This is only the second Palestine deep dive. It's been terrific. It's been a great privilege to have both of you uh, with us and joining us. So thank you, and uh, I'd also like to thank the the team that have helped put this together, and uh, to say uh, until next time, that's all from us here at Palestine Deep Dive. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much, Mark. Thank you. Thanks, Inez. Bye bye.